Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 79 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. We're happy to be with you here today. Jacob, did you see on Twitter that for a hot second, the library was kind of trending? You bet I did. Inadvertently trending? <laughs> Inadvertently as it was true, but it was still trending. So for anyone who doesn't know, someone on Instagram posted a pic of um, one of our library bags that you can purchase to carry all of your goods in and was like, yo, libraries are dope. You can get all this stuff out. Why didn't I know? And then some comedian who knew her uh, tweeted this picture, kind of making fun of her, like, right. this chick thinks she just discovered the library whereas we all know about it but people really came to to her defense of like let her be happy libraries are cool and yeah they're like just because ben franklin technically came up with the idea like do we not like ben franklin i'm fine with ben franklin we were homies back in um college great that's good to hear (laughs) but yeah so some celebs got in on it like chrissy Teigen talking about love and library so all of you people who said that you love the library i hope that you visit your library yeah sometimes i think people have deep uh, rooted feelings of like childhood of using the library. And then I think they forget about it and like stop coming. Um, And I really try to get adults to be like, no, 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 it's actually, it's great for you too. There's still a lot of stuff that, that you'll like. Most people I know are still buying books and, you know, renting movies and doing things that I'm like, you don't have to do that if yeah. you go to the library. That is such Free. a ri- such a ridiculous <laughs> waste of money in this in these day and times. Like why are yeah. you buying anything? We are here for you. We're buying it for you because we are your friends. Yeah. We so, we will make the selection and tell you what is good. That so, is the whole purpose of this show. So that was a plus in a week that had a big minus which was a total bummer, which was the death of Toni Morrison. Yeah, that was kind of a bummer. That is a that is a bummer. So um, a little bit, actually before, no, I'm going to do a little, talk a little bit about her, and then I have a little clip of her speaking. Um, she was just really eloquent. She's a really fantastic um, overall human, I'd say. But she is the first African-American woman to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. I don't know if you That's knew that. That's a big accomplishment. It's humongous. Um, she's best known for her novels that they really focus on intimate relationships especially between men and women and um almost all of the stories are set against the backdrop of african-american culture sure um so she has some of the ones that you might recognize the bluest eye sula song of solomon and then uh beloved which won the pulitzer prize and then there's many others Um, A little bit about her. So I found this really interesting reading up on Toni Morrison. She was born Chloe uh, Wofford. That's Um, a great name. Toni came from her baptismal name, which was Anthony. And then in 1949, she was going to Howard University in D.C. to study English. And she ended up just changing her name to Toni because no one at Howard could pronounce the name Chloe properly. Really? Yeah. They're like, Kalani. So she was like, forget that. And then she was briefly married, which is where she got the Morrison from, which she actually says she really regrets. And that when she published her first book, it was Toni Morrison. And she called them beforehand. And she's like, you know what? Get the Morrison out of there. I want my maiden name back. And they were like, oh, it's we sent it we to already, the printers. We already put it on the book. So there it is. So then she just kind of became um, Toni Morrison. The fact that you had to put the qualifier for like a short marriage, that makes it even worse. Yeah. It's like, I, oh, I'm stuck forever with this jerk's name. Kind of. And I think she kind of carried that as like, well, it's not my, it's not my favorite, but 
<laughs> it's it gotta, is gotta make it, it work it is what it is now um and i also liked her library connection i read um in the seattle times interview that in 1931 in the town of lorraine ohio she worked as a teenager at her local library which is kind of cute but she admitted that she was not a good library worker because she preferred reading the books over shelving them. I feel like that is a common problem in the library industry. I know uh, that's that was always that's always an issue of mine. Well, sure, you like see a book and you're like, this looks interesting, and now I want to read the back, and now I want to read the jacket, and now I don't want to put it on the shelf. In the back of my mind, whenever I'm working like in the tier areas, I was always like, maybe if I find that one magical book, it'll be like the never-ending story. Ooh, and then you just here. hide out there all day yeah, in a rainstorm eating your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, and I get to like listen to awesome Danish rock, and I'm going to have <laughs> a flying dog come and hang out with me. It's going to be pretty great. I'm sorry that that didn't happen for you. Yeah, that's not I would have been late. really jealous, though. It's not too late. I, I could be the old person in a sequel. We never know. <laughs> anyway, um, so then, yeah, Toni Morrison, she was a graduate of Howard University and Cornell. And then she had a really distinguished career as an editor for Random House um, while raising two sons as a single mother. And then she would just start to get up early before work and before they got up and start to write. And then... That was it. And then eventually she left publishing and devoted herself full-time to writing and teaching. Um, but that happened, like, later in life. So anyone who's still thinking about writing a book, do it. Do it, She guys. said the best age to start was 40. Really? Well, like, you know what? That makes sense. Because That's you awesome. Got, you got some <laughs> life experience. Sure. I respect that. So, yeah. So now let's just play a little clip of an interview with the late and great Toni Morrison. I didn't discover why I wrote... Uh, really until later, at the very beginning, when I wrote the first book, The Bluest Eye, I came at it as not a writer but a reader, and such a story didn't exist. Uh, every little homely black girl was a joke or didn't exist in literature, and I was eager to read about a story where racism really hurts and can destroy you. I know how to write forever. I don't think I could have happily stayed here with the calamity that has occurred so often in the world if I did not have a way of thinking about it, past, present, future, which is what writing is for me. It's control. Nobody tells me what to do. I am in control. It is my world. It's sometimes wild, the process by which I arrive at something. But nevertheless, it's mine, it's free, and it, it's, a, it's a way of thinking. It's pure knowledge. Okay, so bummer, but she lived a full life. I believe she was maybe 88. Is old? she really? I was trying yes. to do the math on the fly and it was not working. <laughs> I out saw, you know, I saw you just like your fingers moving really rapidly, and yeah, I was like, 19, I figured that that's nineteen thirty-one working already. Um, I'm like, my God! And then I forgot about child labor laws. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, quickly moving on from that, so <laughs> that was a loss. And then you know, we started thinking about other authors uh, that have passed on, maybe in the last decade or two decades. 
Yeah, I don't well, even know we what, tried to do that. Like, what year I kept, we're in. Um, I kept trying to find authors, and I was getting, like, super old ones. There might even be a couple that still made well, it. Well, there, there are many people who have written that have died. Yeah. <laughs> so that is Turns true. out the majority um, of people who have written stuff are dead. <laughs> Look at that. It's a fun fact for you here. Um, but, yeah, so we wanted to talk about some authors that maybe you've heard of um, that have passed on that you haven't read and things that we can recommend that are great by them. So I have some people that I personally uh, really love. Oh. And I will assume that you do too. Of course I do. Everything that you love, I of course love because you have better taste than me in books. This is going to be a Michelle-centric episode, I think, because you are the reader of the two of us. I'm the star today. You're, all, you're the star I'm every the week. Star. I'm okay. just some schlub lucky enough to be in the here with you. Oh, you heard it here first, people. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's get into it. So the first author that I want to start with, this is probably... Um, the death that was furthest away, this was 2007, but he is one of my all-time favorites, is Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, okay. Um, I would say regarded by many critics as a key influence in shaping the 20th century American literature. Um, I'd say that's a fair assessment. Absolutely. So he died in 2007 at 84. It's really tragic because he actually suffered brain, in, brain injuries after a fall at his home. Really? That's not a that's not a way to go. No, that's sort of an embarrassing way to go, actually. <laughs> way to way to shame him in death. Well, What's you know, I don't know what to you? tell you. you. Slip on the bathtub, and next thing you know, you're dead. Any, anyway, I don't know if that's what happens. So do he not quote me on has, that. Um, more than a dozen books, short stories, essays, plays, um, and they all kind of contain elements of social commentary, a lot of science fiction, and some autobiographies. So. Um, something that I, I love about Kurt Vonnegut is that he met his first wife in kindergarten. What? Right? So he was born in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1922, and then he met his future wife, Jane, in kindergarten. Um, they dated as teenagers in high school, and then their relationship sort of paused because he went to Cornell University, and then he dropped out to serve in World War II, became a prisoner of war in Germany. So oh. he's gone for a spell. So after returning to the U.S., he married Jane in 1945. Oh, that is lovely. Right? So they had six children, three biological children, and then three adopted children because his sister Alice died of cancer. Oh. And then Alice's husband died in a train accident within the span of a few days. So they adopted her three sons. Jeez. Right? Well... Well, you know, that's good, I guess. I mean, it's kinda, that's amazing. They actually, sadly, him and Jane divorced in 1971, but I think he went on to be remarried, and I think he actually ended up adopting and having more children. But he, so his capture in Germany and everything really affected his writing. He spent 23 years kind of struggling to write about the ordeal, um, which he survived by huddling with, like, other POWs inside an underground meat locker, which was labeled Slaughterhouse-Five, which became, I think, the most famous book that he's known for. It's studied in schools. It's banned in some schools. Is that really what that book's about? I never read it. You never read Sla Oh, it's a great book, Jacob. Nah, I had to Oh, I'm, like, shocked right now. No, I went the H.G. Wells route when it came to, uh, like, high school reading books. Oh, like I kind of stayed no. away from Kurt Vonnegut. I didn't oh, know what they were. mistake. So I'm going to tell you right now the three must-reads, and I, I can't put more emphasis on one because I love them all so much. So Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, and Sirens of Titan. You're going to tell me, like, Cat's Cradle is about, like, a serial killer who, like, hits people with sledgehammers or something. Like, I can never tell with older books, like, because the titles tell you absolutely nothing. I know, about but that's great. Sirens of Titan is weird. We've got... There's alien stuff and it's a Greek. It sounds like a Greek myth book. I oh, actually have to go step in because these are not what I, I thought am, these books. I'm are about. telling you, these books are awesome. 
Oh, awesome. Man. So for anyone who just hasn't read Kurt Vonnegut, I actually had a friend, <laughs> sounds terrible, but who was very over, overwhelmed by the amount of authors and books that there are out there and didn't know what to choose to read. So he created rules for himself that he would only read authors that died. Okay. Only deceased authors. So I remember being so sad when Kurt Vonnegut died and he was kind of like, it's terrible, but I can finally read some Kurvonegat. I've been dying to hear. So I was like, I guess that's good. So then he kind of binged on a lot of that. My man's so. got a little ghoul pool going <laughs> little, with his little, books. A little bit. So, yeah, so first off, read some Toni Morrison, read some Kurvonegat, and now tell us what else to read, Jacob. All right, so I'm going to go a little bit a little bit different thing. I'm going to go with the fantasy route. I'm going to start with a, uh, a Robert Jordan recommendation Oh, yeah. Here. He is most famous for writing the Wheel of Time series. I don't know if you ever delved deep I into those. I read book one. And okay. although I enjoyed book one, I didn't enjoy book one enough to read like 16 of them. Right. I so made, I made it to it. about book four. And I'm like, all right, this is like the Lord of the Rings. And it kind of is. It's kind yeah. of Lord of the Rings adjacent. But I do know people that have read the whole thing, including... I'm sure you're getting to where Brandon Sanderson took them over, and I've heard that it is a great series all in all. Yeah, 14 books over 22 years he wrote, uh, which, you know, by Game of Thrones standards, for instance, is just incredible because yeah. that, that's a great output. Like, you you think, like, you know, 22 years, that's a long time to draw a series out, but when you're busting out 14 books, that's almost a book a year and a, every year no, and a half, so that's, that's a good very, pace. very impressive. Uh, the reason he's, you know, he died in 2007, he's 1948 to 2007, the reason he is um, relevant today is because the Wheel of Time was actually optioned by Amazon. So they, uh, in addition to buying the Lord of the Rings license, which they are also making a series out of. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Amazon uh, decided to buy the Wheel of Time series, so they are going to be making all of the books into a bunch of TV series. So that should be interesting. Sure. And I think it's going to be a big uptick of people reading these books. You know, it's it's what you think it's going to be. There's elves, there's hobbits, there's I can't evil really forces. remember a ton from from the first book. Yeah, it's it's hard to get into because you know it gets in a little spoiled territory by how much people are around. But you know, is there? There's a very good series. I'm a big fan of fantasy books, and this is one of those ones that anytime you su- people suggest them, check it out. And I always think it's a good idea when stuff's going to have a show coming out to yeah. go ahead and go get read a the feel. books. Learn the characters now because otherwise it's really difficult when you just start watching the show to keep track of all the characters. Right. That's the same thing with The Witcher that's coming out on Netflix. It's like there there are books, people, and we have them here at the library. You know, stop on by, read them, check them out. Get get a good baseline before these things actually are going to be all part of your life because you're going to see them everywhere once the promotional hype jumps in. I'm pumped about that. But okay, great. Um, what that you, sounds good. What you got over there, Snyder? Next, another huge author, uh, tragic death that happened last year, May 22nd, 2018, which was Philip Roth. Oh, my man, that was horrible. I can't believe he got attacked by those wolves. <sighs> Would you stop? Do you, have no, you have no decency. No <laughs> sense of decency. Um, Philip Roth was, I would say, arguably the most famous living novelist in the country at the time. Like he is a mm. he's a huge deal, and then he died at the age of eighty five from congestive heart failure. Um, he's the author of more than twenty five books. He was a fierce satirist and uncompromising realist. That's really what he's known for, style wise. He is among the greatest writers, never to win the Nobel Prize, but he received virtually every single other literary honor. He won two National Book Awards, two National uh, Book 
Critics Circle Prizes, and in 1998, he won the Pulitzer for the book American Pastoral. Such a good book. Another one I haven't read. It's such a good book. He was in his 20s when he won his first award um, for his first book, which was called Goodbye Columbus. Um, He won the National Book Award in 1960 for it. And then he really, I think, awed critics and fellow writers by producing some of his most acclaimed novels in his 60s and 70s. So, you know, you don't see a ton of writers putting stuff out then. Um, That's when The Human Stain came out. I think they made that into a film. Uh, Sabbath Theater is also really good. So, yeah, I mean, Philip Roth, you can't go wrong there. I'd say grab anything, but I would probably push for Goodbye Columbus or American Pastoral. I heard of American Pastoral. I never heard of Goodbye Columbus. See, that's why I come to you for my book suggestions, because mine are quite limited. (laughs) I'm really excited you're going to read Kervonnegut. That... That's where yeah, I'm jazz. But I, yeah, if you grab a Philip Roth, I think you're going to have a really, really excellent end of your summer here. Some I really don't good know stuff. what I thought. I've worked here for years. I don't know what I thought that he, that Philip Roth was writing. I don't. Well, I think some people fall into that. Like you hear of authors so often and then you start to think that they're just kind of someone else that you're like, oh, I'm not going to be into that. Like that's fine, but that's not going to yeah, be a, my my style. That's an old person book. Is kind of like goes through your mind a Absolutely. lot. Absolutely. But he was writing things in his, in his 20s and... You know, very fresh take on thing. I think that you'd really like it. So everybody check out Philip Roth if you haven't. All right. All right. What else do we have here? I am going to go another more modern guy. I'm going with Michael Crichton from 1942 to 2008. He was kicking around. And you you 100% have seen or read something by this guy. I have not read anything, but yes, obviously I have experienced his work. (laughs) So... He is like basically Hollywood's favorite little science fiction tech author because he is the guy who came up with such ideas like Jurassic Park. Little, you know, that little property. You know, they're not doing much these days with it. <laughs> uh, he wrote The Andromeda Strain, uh, Rising Sun, Congo, the greatest killer monkey movie of all time, Congo, I by will, the way. I'll give him credit for that, sure. <laughs> uh, Sphere, he wrote Disclosure. He also directed and wrote the original Westworld, which is a big Big oh, I deal. Like, I like that movie. Yeah. I forgot that that was him. Yeah, he came up with that one and the f- sequel, Future World. So that's Some good minds leave us. And yeah. then we're like, that's why they just keep remaking everything now. Are all the good minds gone? So, yeah, he's just such a, he was such ahead of his time. Like, his books were always very, like, in-depth. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you watch some of his movie adaptations or stuff, they kind of, they don't really catch how in-detailed his books would be. Like Jurassic Park, for instance, they skipped over some of the darker elements that were in the book. They kind of getting back to them now, but you know, it wasn't always like they. There's make darker it. elements than being ripped apart by dinosaurs. Well, spoiler alert for the book: literally in the first book, everybody basically gets killed. Oh. Like Malcolm and Hammond, they're all very much sure. implied to be dead, but they're somehow alive in the second book well, because hey. they needed another movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, his books are just, they're so very detailed. He gets really into the science of everything that is going on. So it does give it like a very believable baseline to everything. Well, you don't get to write and publish that many books because you're trash. So I'll assume that this is is at least very enjoyable. E.L. James would argue that point that you don't get to just write a bunch of books. She published her own books. Oh, well, there you go. So you can, that's a, there's a lot of that going on. If you're going to write trash, publish it yourself. yourself, Um, But yeah, like his books are definitely worth checking out, um, especially if you're a science fiction fan, as I am, as we all know. Go check them out. Then you can go watch a bunch of awesome movies. You want to go see Sean Connery um, be all about Japanese culture and then yell at Wesley Snipes? Go for it, because that's what Rising Sun's about. Okay, (laughs) that sounds great. Um, Okay, moving on. 
um, an author that I think that we both enjoy um, is P.D. James. So British crime writer Phyllis Dorothy James, and I think a lot of people do not know that P.D. James is a woman, but she died in November of 2014 at age 94. Way to go. Right? Um, So her life is really interesting. She worked in forensic science and in the public health service prior to publishing the first of her more than 20 books when she was 42. So we have another late kind of author bloomer here. It seems to be the way to go. And her best known novels include Jacob and mine's favorite, The Children of Men. Yep, um, love that book. And then she also has The Murder Room. She did a Pride and Prejudice spinoff, The Death Comes to Pemberley. Those are really big Wait, when they came out. Somebody's just going around the Pride and Prejudice thing and murdering everybody. I, that's I think a, so. That's something they I They made that into like a BBC um, miniseries. So I know that people love that. So some interesting things about P.D. James, if you're not familiar, her mother was committed to an asylum awesome. when she was 14, which left her to raise her siblings. Then her husband was mentally incapacitated by World War II and also institutionalized, which left her to raise her two daughters. And then eventually she ran five psychiatric clinics for the health service and then in the criminal policy for the home office while she was dabbling in writing. She was also doing those things. And then it really wasn't until her eighth book, which was called Innocent Blood, that she had a massive bestseller and that she could sort of think about giving up the day jobs and just writing. You know, hanging out with crazy people and dealing with mental illness. Yeah, I can imagine that you want to get out of that daily rigmarole, that's for sure. I mean, I think that she was really well predisposed to it, like... She obviously had a knack for it. She kind of grew up around it. So it sounds really honorable and, you know, maybe really helped kind of expand her mind and her creativity. And then she created some really wonderful books because The Children of Men is the best. Oh, still still the best. I'm probably going to go. Best movie, like all of it's the best. Going to go back and watch it this weekend probably because I got to get my Clive Owen fix. I feel like I'm a little lost. It's so good. You know, I don't know. It's so good. People, once again, this show cannot recommend. We enough. really can't. Top go, three favorite movies of all time. Go watch, go watch Children Make. But get, read the book. Some Enjoy some PD James. A um, lot, a lot of talent there. So another, another big loss. Let's get some more. Uh, it's really sad, and I like it. Let's I'm keep all, it sad. I'm all bummed. <laughs> I'm all bummed sad. with this going. If you want to get really bummed, like go read some Stan Lee comics, everybody. Uh, I figured you'd bring Stan. He Lee died on there. November twelfth of last year, the day that will remain in infamy to comic fans. Jeez, mm. <sighs> now I'm all bummed out by that. Okay, so I'm going to recommend another author besides that because we can go on forever about Stanley. Next, I'm going to go with William Goldman, a guy who was equally known for both his literary... Lord of the Flies guy? Is that who does yeah, he know? Lord of the, I think it was Lord of the Flies guy, yeah. Okay, and you then, think? Well, I you don't know? I did, forgot to write that one down if he didn't. I can't do it off the top of my head. Oh, that was William Golding, Gold I think. Golding, yes, yeah. I was just thinking, like, that's not right. It was close. So what did William Goldman write? So William Goldman is known, uh, he wrote The Princess Bride. Okay. He also wrote All the President's Men okay. and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which are going to be the- He wrote the screenplay or is that a book? There are books. Oh, he, he wrote Butch the Cassidy's book. a book? I didn't know that. Yeah, he wrote the books and oh. the screenplay for him. You know, short stories and stuff is where- his big gimmick was he was very big in turning uh, his scripts into movies, obviously, because all three of those became beloved yeah, movies. Wow. 
He won. Way to knock it out of the park, he's at, William he's Goldman. He's a two-time Academy Award winner for All the President's Men and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, for a screenplay. Yeah, for a wow. best screenplay. He won for both of those. He's living my dream life. He was also one of Hollywood's top uh, script doctors, quote-unquote. So if you had a script, it wasn't working. You're send like, we need to, to punch it up. Send it to Bill here. Send it to William Goldman, and he'll clean it up. Some of the ones... These are some of the stuff that he worked on. He did a lot of stuff for Castle Rock, so he did a lot of stuff for like Stephen King-based kind okay. of books. Uh, scripts that he was known for cleaning up and making good were Misery, tw- wow. Twins, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, <gasps> Danny DeVito movie, A Few Good Men, Indecent Proposal, uh, Last Action Hero, um, Chaplin, Maverick, Ghost in the Darkness, uh, Year of the Comet. These are just some of the movies that they... They needed work on, and they're so diverse. But they're like, we'll send it to this dude. He'll give us some good dialogue. He'll punch up wow, this action a little bit. Wow, that's very impressive. Um, but yeah, like he was just such a prolific author and then screenwriter. And, and the fact that he was able to jump between the two and be equally successful in both is impressive. Yeah. And when you look at his books and his screenplays for them, they are different. Like They're not always the exact same thing, which sometimes authors can get too precious about their work and not want to touch or deal with anything sure he was one that realized that they, they're different mediums you can do stuff in books it doesn't necessarily work on film so the fact that he was able to understand that and not only adapt his own work but also work on other people's i feel like that was uh that's an a, acquired skill and not one that too many people can do with no um, that makes so. me want to check check his stuff out and i mean we're getting closer to the fall so everybody's going to be sick in bed so why not do a princess bride of your own you know you got somebody <laughs> sick just sit at the bedside do your Columbo impression and read it to people. But okay, nice. Like but yeah, that. William Goldman, go check out his stuff, people. It's um, underrated, I think. The next author that I'm going to bring up, um, I think two really famous books, and I want to talk about it because one I love and one I hate. Oh, I love, <laughs> I love when that's the beginning. Yeah, so it's uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, boy. Um, he's Colombian-born. He wrote fantastical works, which... Okay, are imbued with doses of realism and imagination. That's his thing, the whole magical realism, yeah. which I think is a genre you love or you hate. So his big books were 100 Years of Solitude. Sounds lovely. And Love in the Time of Cholera. Sounds not as good. Love in the Time of Cholera is the one I love. Not, That's the good one. Not a fan of the solitude? <sighs> the thing with 100 Years of Solitude is to kind of show that I feel like the theme is history repeats itself. So there are... 50 characters, and they kind of all have the same name. And yeah, you have to that's follow true. that. It's There's slight differences. Don't you notice the one's lowercase, the other's uppercase? I don't actually know if that's a thing. Don't quote me on that, everybody. It's it's really, it's really difficult to follow. I've tried that book twice, and I usually get to the halfway point, and I'm like, no, I'm not into it. But a lot of people are. And 11 the time of cholera is wonderful, so I still, I mean, this was still a huge loss. Um, he has been considered one of the most significant Spanish language novelists. Sí. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1982. Um, an interesting thing is that he was a supporter of Fidel Castro's Cuba, so he was often denied entry into the United States. Of course. Um, until one of his biggest fans, Bill Clinton, uh, revoked the ban during his presidency. Oh, well, that was nice of him. Bill's like, no way, you're like one of my favorite authors. Get in here. So um, Marquez died in April of 2014 in Mexico, and he was 87. So a lot of these authors lived 
pretty Sur- full lives. Surprisingly, yeah, they're all. You know, you usually hear like really tragic stories, but I think they're living a, maybe a softer life than the rock stars where we're like dead at well, twenty-seven. Not doing a <laughs> lot of probably not doing a lot of drug use when you're trying to write out a yeah, when you're hundred just like, years of college or yeah, write books about exactly like, years like of solitude. sitting in a room by yourself with a typewriter. Um, but he's definitely an author worth knowing. So check that out. I only have one more. What do you have? Nah, go ahead. Let's do yours. Yeah, let's just do it because we're running out of time here, and I'd like to put uh, get another woman in. Uh, we mentioned her once before because she did die last year, but Ursula Le Guin. Friend the of the show. Award-winning science fiction and fantasy writer who was really big on exploring feminist themes um, in her writing. She's best known for her Earthsea books. Um, and like I said, she died last year. She was 88. There it's a real go. theme. Um, Love that symmetry. That's oh, where I want to go. Oh, yeah. So her first novel came out in 1966, but she really gained fame three years later when The Left Hand of Darkness came out, which I'm sure you've heard of if you have not I've, read. I've heard of it, but Huge I have book. not read it. It won the Hugo. It won the Nebula Awards. I mean, those are the top science fiction prizes. So uh, it was really well loved, and it conjures a the book itself, a radical change in gender roles well before there was a rise of any sort of transgender community. Okay. So she was really ahead of the curve. And I think she's really beloved for that because she was just writing about things that were not being written about. So that makes her really exciting. Um, in that, in The Left Hand of Darkness, super famous, like I said, it imagines like a future society in which people are equally male and female. And then, again, it has mm. the exciting stuff of you know, perils of tyranny and violence and conformity and yada, yada, yada. So big things we got to deal with nowadays. Trust me. Yeah. So that's well loved. And then her also, I'd say um, maybe even better known than Left Hand of Darkness is the Earth Sea books. Yeah. Those have said just millions worldwide. Um, and then again, she's got short stories, poetry, essays. She's got some YA stuff. So if you don't know Ursula, you ought to. Don't. You'll be better for it. Yeah, it's not the one from Little Mermaid either. Like the, there are other Ursulas out there that you are just, famous people. You just say the worst things. Well, it's true. I bet you if how many anyone people. Anyone out there laughs at you? Please tweet me and explain why, because I need to understand. I know there's he's, a, he's there's at least garbage. seven seven I would say. <laughs> Can we just uh, <laughs> let's just wrap this up? All right. Well, everything that you hear on All Booked Up is available at one of our 37 branches all across Erie County. Stop on by, ask about them, say, hey, do you got that non-Little Mermaid related Ursula? Let me get up. Let me get all up in that. Uh, if you can't find it at one of those libraries, which is impossible, you can always double check with the bookmobile. It's going to be driving all around, honking horns, showing the wonderful faces of me and Michelle on the back as it's driving all around. It's tragic. So go check it out, everybody. And uh, yeah. And then, and then to, to be in the know of all things trending and viral, follow us on Twitter at AllBookedUpPod. I'm in it. I'm yeah. retweeting. Yeah. We were recently sort of. called uh, Paul F. Tompkins' favorite library-related podcast. Who? Yeah, prove me wrong, everybody. He's a dead author's podcast. See, I was making a, a crossover it thing was, there. It failed. It did it not. It burned. Well, let's talk Jeez. about other terrible things. I'm just um, going to go and be depressed. So some famous authors and their interesting deaths. Did you know that Greek playwright Aeschylus was killed by a falling tortoise? Okay. Yep, so the story goes that an eagle dropped the tortoise, believing that it was that it was an egg, you know, and trying to break it open, on the top of his head, believing that it was a rock. And then the unfortunate playwright was killed 
dead. So there are there it is possible that this story is false. Oh, you I mean, think? It, it's debatable. <laughs> Many scholars believe that it was kind of cooked up by a rival writer who wished to make the playwright appear like a fool and was killed in a really silly way. But well, he, he we, accomplished the goal. We do not know for certain. He might have been killed by a falling tortoise. Um, here's one that we do know is true. Tennessee Williams choked to death on a bottle cap. <laughs> wow, is that funny to you? You're a monster. So the playwright, Why was he eating the bottle well, cap? Well, he was found dead in his hotel suite in 1983, having choked on the lid of the bottle of pills he regularly took. Why? I don't know. This was confirmed by the medical examiner, who believed that the combination of pills and alcohol in his system may have helped contribute to his death by limiting his gag reflex. So maybe he just thought the cap was off and just shot the pills down his mouth, but the cap went down his mouth and it killed him. <laughs> so funny. It's worse than a tortoise. Um, Is and it then, though? At least the tortoise, you'd be like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And then because it wouldn't be my fashion if I didn't go with a depressing one, Virginia nice. Woolf, um, I think we know, but she committed suicide by drowning herself in a river. Um, she had suffered from depression for most of her life, and in 1941, she finally made the decision to end her life by drowning. She put stones in the pocket of her overcoat to help drown herself in the river in uh, March of 1941, and her last ever piece of writing was this really moving suicide note that she left to her husband, which ended with the words, I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been. And Aww. then she put stones in her pocket and went in the river. Talk about mixed messages, am I right? Like, you, I mean, you're soulless. Well, you I mean, no how are you supposed to take that? Let me just do, I'll do one more um, because he's a dark and twisty man. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, there we go. My so man. his death is super shrouded in mystery. Um, so a reporter from the Baltimore Sun back in the day found a delirious Poe. Okay, he was outside stumbling in the rain. Um, and he knew that something was very wrong, but he didn't know what was wrong. And then four days later, he died without being able to explain what he had been through. And all that the poet could do was call out for Reynolds, who is an unknown person who is never identified. And that's it. There's many theories surrounding his death from alcohol withdrawal to rabies. <laughs> so... There you go. That's, you talk about an Edgar Allan. That's the, how you think Edgar Allan Poe. He's like, go. I'm, I'm happy that this is the way that I went out. Very, very mysterious. Screaming a random name while they're going mad. That is some Edgar Allan Poe to it. So there, right there. So there it is. There are some uh, famous authors that we've lost, and you should check them out. And thanks for listening. And we will be back next week. And yada yada. And woohoo, we did it. And Yay. see you later. Bye. <laughs>